Our scripture this morning is Psalms 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night, when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they, are smoke, and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we pause for a moment around your word as we have listened to it being read read to us. And Father, we would ask that your commands would be completely obeyed, that your will would be accomplished in our hearts this morning. And Lord, we strive to focus on what you want the attention of our hearts to be. And so I, I ask for help in doing that. And Lord, we would ask that you would keep distractions away from us, each of us. Let our minds be fixed on you. As the psalmist has fixed his attention on you, let the attention of our hearts be again fixed on you. And we need your help for that. We need the help of your spirit, both to hear your words, but also to attend to your commands. And so would you be gracious to us? Would you be kind to us this morning? Would you be merciful? For you are merciful. You are full of loving kindness and patience. Lord, your mercies are new every morning, and we need a fresh supply of your mercies this morning. So, Lord Jesus, please, by your Spirit, come and minister to our hearts, I pray. As we have sung of your wonders and your glories, I pray now that as, as you, we contemplate your word, that you would let the truth about who you are that we have just heard settle into our souls and let it lead us to a place of worship. And I thank you for your word. It is a great blessing. In Christ's name, amen. So as Ian said earlier, we have been making our way through Psalms this summer, and we are in uh, Psalm 104 this morning. And sometimes we find an indication of who wrote the psalm, uh, but in this instance, we don't. And yet Psalm 104 gives us a little bit of a clue because the language that we see in Psalm 104 is almost identical to what we see in Psalm 103. So if you have your Bible, you look across the page at Psalm 103 or scroll up or down, whatever the case may be, um, you'll see the opening words of Psalm 103, which is ascribed to David. We're told David did write Psalm 103. The opening words say, bless the Lord, O my soul. First words of Psalm 103. And then the last words of Psalm 103 are also, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And the first words of Psalm 104 are, guess, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And the last words of Psalm 104 are, Bless the Lord, O my soul. I think David wrote it. Uh, I'm going to guess that. I could be wrong, but I think the same language indicates the same author. And so even though we are not told about Psalm 104, uh, I think the language would point us to understand that David wrote this. And so we know what the main point is. The main point of this psalm is to help you bless the Lord. Oh, my soul simply means with all of my being. So David is aiming to help you bless the Lord with your entire being. From the opening words to the closing point, that's the main idea, is to move you to a place of blessing the Lord. So that's the main point. But this word bless is very interesting. In Hebrew, it is barak, which means to bless, but also with bended knees in adoration. It is to bless and adore with bended knees, meaning the blessing part is speaking excellently about the subject. Here it's God. So to praise him, 
to speak of his wonders, which we have sung this morning. We have sung about God's wonders and creation. We've, we've praised his name. And so that is praising or blessing the Lord. But this word carries with it a notion of adoration, which is a movement of the heart. So not only to speak wonderfully about the Lord, rightly, accurately, truly about God, but with an adoration in the heart and knees bent, meaning you, you gladly submit to the lordship of this God. You, you happily bow before him in your heart and acknowledge his lordship. So you're, we are glad. This word bless is rich. It not only means to praise and, and speak of the wonders, but move your heart in adoration and happily bowing before him. That's what the psalmist wants us to do. So the heart in this word that we're called to bless, the heart needs to be engaged. So this morning, where's your heart? Is it with the Red Sox this afternoon? Or lunch this afternoon? Or the nap that you're yearning for already? I, I want to just invite you, focus your heart on this psalm. Because that's where we're going. And the psalmist wants you to know this God who he is so that you can love him. Because it is possible to speak rightly, accurately, and praiseworthily, if that's a word, about someone and your heart not be engaged. Right? You've all heard it. Empty praises. You are so wonderful. I, such a, oh, that was a great sermon has no effect on my heart whatsoever. Or, or Mr. President, you're, you're wonderful and amazing. You hold the highest office in the land. You are worthy of the respect due to the office. Right? You can say those words without any affection in your heart. Just like you can pray to God without any affection or adoration in your heart, right? God, you are the creator. You are the highest of all. You are mighty, you are holy. Could Satan say that stuff? Right, we can speak truly and rightly and accurately about God and our hearts can be completely disengaged. That is not the aim of the psalmist. And that is not the aim of our Lord Jesus because he says, if you worship like that, it's vain and pointless. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 15. He said to the, to the Pharisees, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah say of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. We have to guard against ritualistic, empty-hearted worship. Now, granted, sometimes when your heart's not in it, you need to go through the motions to get your heart in it, right? But sometimes if that continues for an extended period, you need to, have, you need to sit down and say, what is the state of my soul? Where is my heart? What, what are the adorations and affections of my heart? Because the psalmist here, Psalm 104, is meant to inform you so that he can inflame you. 
He's going to educate you about who God is so that your heart will be motivated and moved towards him. God does not need empty praises. C.S. Lewis said sometimes in the Psalms, God sounds like an old woman asking for compliments. Right? Don't you love my new coat? And isn't my new hairdo glorious? And did you notice my new glasses? That's not what God, he's not empty in, in needing to be praised. But the praise coming from us in a genuine movement of the heart expresses adoration. And that's what the psalmist is, is aiming at. And so he goes through an incredible amount of information about God, but it is to increase your devotion to God. He's aiming at a movement of your heart. So take a quick check. What's the status of your soul this morning? Where, where do you stand with the Lord? And if you say, and you have to be honest, right? You, can't, you, can, you can fake me out all day long. You cannot fake the Lord out. If you're at a place of like, my heart is just not here, then say it. Not, not out loud. Just you to to and God. Right? But be honest with the Lord. My heart is, I'm, I'm done. I am weary. I am tired. I am exhausted. I, I, want, I know I want my heart to be there, but it's not. And I just want to pray um, that the Lord would do what he would do in each one of our hearts. And if your heart is like, yes and amen, I, I'm there. Okay, well, just be careful that you don't hit your neighbor when you're praising the Lord. But let's just, I want you to just have a moment to just pray before the Lord. Because we don't take much time often to just stop and sit before the Lord. So I just want to pray before we consider the information. So would you pray with me? And you, you pray to the Lord just in your own heart. And Father, we admit we so often are not where we need to be. We are not who we need to be. But Lord, we want to be who we ought to be. We yearn, if we are your children, we yearn to be like you, Jesus. Please help us pour out your spirit on us that when we see truth, our hearts are moved, that we love truth like you love truth. And we hate lies like you hate lies. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us this morning, I pray. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. So if the main point of this psalm is to help you bless the Lord with all of your soul, uh, what he does then is supply you with a bunch of reasons. Many. I think there are three main reasons that we'll see. And then there's one section where uh, the creative power and, and wonder of God is shared and exalted. It's like seven little sub points. So you might think there's 3.7 points to the sermon today, but I, you don't have to worry about that. But um, as we think about reasons to bless the Lord... That, that's where we begin, verses 1 and 2. I hope you look at it in your copy of Scripture, verses 1 and 2. Why? The first reason is to bless the Lord and to praise Him is because He is great and glorious, is where the psalmist begins. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty and covered yourself with light as with a garment. And David is speaking here. He says, Lord, you see the Lord, in all caps, in your copy of Scripture, 
That points to the personal name of God, the covenant name that God revealed to Moses alone. When we think of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God never revealed his personal name, Yahweh, to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. He never revealed his his personal name to them. Only Moses and, and the rest of the children of Israel did he reveal himself that way. So David is talking about the covenant name of God, personal name. So this is very intimate. Notice in the psalm, he's speaking directly again to the Lord. It's it's you. He bounces back and forth between talking to God and talking about God. So he has a community in his mind. But yet he says, you are great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. You wrap yourself in light like a garment. There's light all around you. So majestic beauty, it's almost incomprehensible. It's almost hard for us to get our minds around that kind of beauty. And so he's grasping for language. As you think about the glory and the wonder of who God is, the psalmist is trying to help you get your head around how incomprehensibly wonderful and glorious and beautiful. That word splendor points to beauty. It can be translated as beauty. So God is beautiful. Beauty, all beauty comes from God. Any beauty you see in this world is is a cracked and broken reflection that comes from him. So he is, you're very great. And you are clothed with light, wrapped in splendor. And in fact, uh, 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is filled with light and goodness. Uh, James calls him the father of light, which we sang about just a moment ago. So the first point in helping you to bless the Lord is because he is majestic and wonderful and mighty and glorious and brilliant and bright and beautiful. Second reason he goes into is in verses, uh, starts in verses two. And he says this, God is the creator and the sovereign sustainer of this whole universe. He's the creator and the sustainer, the sovereign sustainer of the universe. So David's God is not a deistic God. The God of deism believes there is a God who created this world, but he formed everything, he shaped it, he set it in motion, and then he just backed off to watch what would happen. He just, he set it going, and then I'll just go on vacation and and see how everything will unfold. A distant God, that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the, the God whom David is here commending to us. He is a very near personal God who has a specific name and he is the creator. And so he says, this God in verse two, stretched out the heavens like a tent. So he is sovereign over the seen and the unseen. Verses two to four, he stretched out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. And the psalmist here, as we move through this, you'll notice He has creation as we find in Genesis chapter one in the back of his mind. So that shapes everything he's about to say. So if you want some homework, uh, go home today, read Genesis chapter one, and you'll see it all through this psalm. I'll try to bring out the points where it connects, but this is in the back of his mind. So he says, he lays the beams of his chambers on the waters, which is pointing us back to the very beginning of creation when we see the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and uh, and that was the beginning of when God began to order this world that he had created 
So he's the beginning of the beams. The beams form the skeleton of creation. So he's, he's using an analogy and saying God is, he, he began shaping this creation over the waters. He makes his clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds and his ministers a flaming fire. So he's now moving into day two of creation when God created the heavens and this expanse is what the, the ESV and the King James would call this expanse between uh, the waters above and below. That was the heavens. And then there are clouds there. There's water in the clouds. There's this glory and this brightness. The angelic world is also being mentioned here because of the, the messengers being like winds, is, is angelic messengers being like winds and flames of fire. What he's saying is God created the heavens that you can see but you can't touch. And oh, how wonderful technology is and the web telescope bringing to us the things that we can't see of all of the wonders that God has created. Because in, if you've seen some of the images that have been shared lately, the incredible detail, when you think about God stretched out the heavens like a tent, I, I think there are about 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy there are about two trillion galaxies in our universe. And I think if I read right, that's about 200 billion trillion stars in the universe that God spread out like a tent. And our universe is about 93 billion light years across. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. That's, if I could shoot a bullet at 186,000 miles per second this way, if I could shoot it that fast, it would go around the world seven times and through me before I could even get out of the way. That's how fast 186,000 miles per second is. And imagine light traveling that fast for a year. That's a light year. And then a universe that spans 93 billion light years across? God spoke this into existence? absolutely mind-blowing and this is the God whom we serve and yet all of that expanse is not wasted nothingness Psalm 147 4 says this God determines the number of the stars and he gives each of them a name I can't even remember my three kids names let alone God remembering 200 billion trillion stars names Incredible. And this is our God who you think doesn't care about you because he's got the universe to run, right? He's named every star. He quite is capable of, of paying attention to whatever it is in your world. He knows the exam that is coming this week. He, he knows the presentation that you have to give. He knows the details of every point of our lives. Jesus tells us he knows the hairs on your head. They are numbered. He knows every detail of our lives. This is the God who the psalmist is commending to you to bless and to worship and with all of your being say, bless the Lord, O my soul. This is him who is being described. And so he is, we ought to be filled with wonder and awe. He is sovereign over this, this entire universe and he called it into existence. Not only the, uh, the heavens did he stretch out, but also in verses four to nine, he is sovereign over land and sea. 
He is sovereign over land and sea. He says this, he set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. And now he goes to you. Notice he's talking about God. Now he's speaking directly to God. He says, you covered it with the deep as with a garment and the water stood above the mountains and at your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank to the place that you appointed them and you set a boundary that they might not pass uh, so that uh, they might not again cover the earth. So here, here again is creation. God founding the earth on unseen foundations, grounding it, and then clothing it, even the earth being clothed, as it were, with a, a robe of waters. And so if you can imagine what the world looks like from space, this, this little globe of ours wrapped in uh, white uh, clouds overshadowing the, the deep, dark, blue ocean. This is the Lord. This is day three of creation here that we're talking about. And so he covered it as with the deep, with waters. And so the, the foundation and the core of the earth is covered completely with waters. And so uh, that's a picture of, of all that we see that God is founding the earth. He's created the land and the sea. He's called into existence now and separated waters from dry earth. And then he says, uh, this is like God, not only does he clothe us and provide us with what we need to be clothed, but also the earth. So God said to the mountains, rise up. So he called up Mount Everest to the highest peak and the Mariana Trench. He said, bow to the lowest depth. Mountains raise at the command of God and valleys tumble uh, at, at his presence. So this is the God who is being uh, the one speaking into existence this entire world. And then he also moves on in verse 4. He's sovereign over not only seas and oceans, but also springs and streams. Uh, verses 10 to 13. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. Verse 10. And they flow between the, mountain, or the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. Wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains and the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. The first words in verse 10, you make the springs gush forth in the valleys. God is sovereign over springs rising up and he is sovereign over streams flowing down the mountains. From God's lofty abode, as it were, even though he's high and lifted up, he is concerned with gushing springs and, and trickling streams that run down mountains. Why? So that he can feed the beasts on the mountains, the wild beasts on the mountains God takes care of. I, I, once upon a time was hiking uh, with some friends in, in the mountains and we came upon a range and popped up over this, this little section of rocks, which I thought was going to be the top of the mountains. And what we see is this little herd of wild goats just standing there like, who are you? What, what are you doing here? I think, I think you're in the wrong spot, is the way they looked at us. And I, I quite agreed. It was, they were definitely more at home than I was. And yet, here we see the mountain goats on the top of the mountains, whom we never even notice are there, God is concerned about. He's, he's calling forth water to feed little goats. And, and so also, what about the birds, right? The, he, he quenches the thirst of donkeys and then birds build their nests beside these streams. God even takes care of the birds. And I think if you know the New Testament, you've probably heard a verse where Jesus says exactly the same. Jesus has taught us not even a single sparrow 
will fall to the ground without the knowledge of God the Father. So we, we think God is, if he is there, he's so immense, he's too busy to pay attention to the things of my life or to care. And yet, what does the psalmist say? He's monitoring gushing springs. He's bringing them up in order to satisfy the thirst of unseen animals. He's, he's governing trickling streams as they run down the sides of the hills and mountains. And he says at the end, verse 13, the earth then because of this, because of this sovereignty of God is satisfied with the fruit of his work. Meaning he meets the needs of, of the moment. God's power and sovereignty takes care of the needs. So we see, bless the Lord for his power in taking care of the unseen. He can care, take care of his people. His covenant promises will be fulfilled to his people. And again, in, in 14 through 18, we see God being sovereign. He moves now over food and shelter. And this is verses 14 and 15 talk about God's provision of food. And verses uh, 16 to 18 talk about his provision of shelter. So if you're hungry, this is for you. Uh, part of what we're seeing here, the psalmist is helping us realize, behind the things that look like there's nothing of, of God's activity happening. He's very present. So look at verse uh, 14. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and the plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth. I just want you to stop for a second. Verse 14, you cause the grass to grow. How many of you ever stop to think, why do you have to cut the grass? It's, it's because God has commanded, I want green stuff to grow. Grass grows because the command of God goes forward. We don't observe that, but behind flowing streams and animals running through the mountains, underneath all that we observe in this world is the activity of God. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's trying to move you to a place of adoration and blessing the Lord by helping us understand what stands behind all the things that we see. You cause the grass to grow. Why? To feed livestock. And he causes plants to grow so that man can cultivate and bring forth food from the earth and grapes to grow so that we can make uh, wine and gladden our hearts and olives to grow so that we can smash them and get oil and have light and grains to grow so that we can have bread. All of this, God's commands of provision are underneath and behind the fruitfulness of this planet so that food comes forward. And I, I want to share, I wish I had a picture of this, but I was driving. I couldn't take a picture of it. On my sabbatical, I was driving uh, a little bit north of Cincinnati, about an hour and a half north. I was going to Jonathan's house. And uh, I, 71, I-71 South, I was headed down. It was about 7 o'clock in the afternoon. The sun was setting. It was absolutely gorgeously beautiful. And I was going through a row of fields for about 60 minutes was nothing but crops and fields where the ground was just coming up. I don't know what was planted, but it was absolutely beautiful. And what I was thinking as I was driving along was, God, this is, this is tilling the earth. We are being fruitful here. The earth is bringing forth food just like the command of God. And as I'm, I'm looking, I'm driving back and forth, there's almost no cars with me. I suddenly realized I'm doing like 85 miles an hour. 
And so I had to confess and slow down. But it was, it was breathtakingly beautiful. And it was just farmer's fields. It was wonderfully fruitful. Behind all of that is the command of the Lord. The challenge for us in this psalm is to see when you go to work, when you go and move throughout your day, God is not absent. He is there. The sun will come up tomorrow and it will set tonight because of the command of the Lord. Don't think he is absent in all that he is doing and he provides housing. Right, the first part of that section is, is for food. 16 to 18, he talks about housing. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. Verse 16, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. God is a gardener. He planted the trees, and in them the birds uh, build their nests. The stork has a home. The high mountains are for wild goats, and the rocks are for the badgers. So, in other words, there's a place for everything. The trees have been given. We take trees. We build houses. So every provision of the Lord is for homes, even for rock badgers. Who cares about badgers? God does. Who cares about birds? God does, and he provides a home for them. He'll take care of you. Some of you have lost your jobs, and you're wondering, am I going to lose my house? Sometimes we go through exceedingly great difficulties. There will always be provision. It might not be what we want, but God will provide. As we have seen, the psalmist said, the children of God, I've never seen them suffering and going hungry. Their, their needs will be met. God will take care of you. Trust in him. Rest confidently in him. Bless him and adore him for his incredible provision. And then as we move into 19 to 23, we see that God is sovereign over the seasons and the rhythms of life. He made, this is day four of creation, by the way. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows the time of its setting. And then you make darkness and night when all the wild beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. And then man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. God is sovereign over the seasons. And aren't they beautiful? Just think for a moment. Hasn't summer been beautiful? Have you, how many of you seen a sunset over the ocean? You've been to the beach. You've seen the beauty of the summer, the glorious bright flowers and green leaves. It's been beautiful. But imagine now all of the colors that are about to burst out in the fall. And some of us are like, it's going to be a whole lot cooler too. Amen. I, the, consider the beauty. How many of you drive up into Vermont just to see the colors, right? The, the trees are fantastic. Why? God is displaying his creativity. He's sharing the goodness of his glory. Fall is beautiful with all of the bursting colors. And then winter, like, no, there's nothing beautiful about that. Yes, there is. On a, on a, on a new fallen snow of an early morning when, when there's no footprints at all or when you're out for a run. One time I was running around Horn Pond and it began to snow flakes about that big, quiet as the night. It was gorgeous, right? God's creation. There's beauty everywhere if we just have eyes to see it. And so here he is inviting us to see the rhythms of this world manifest the glory and the beauty of the Lord. The sun knows when to set because God's command is given. The sun knows when to rise because God's command 
is carried out. And so rest in that rhythm. And the animals go out. He says he uses uh, the, the idea of a lion going out, seeking food at night. While we're sleeping, we work all day. We have light to do so and wonderful uh, ability to be productive by seeing what we're doing. And then we're exhausted. So when night comes, we're quite happy to lie down and rest. And then the lions go out in the night. And, and I want to commend to you a, a series that Apple uh, came out with. It's a, a documentary called Earth at Night in Color. And there has been incredible advances in uh, camera technology. And they are, the, the filming that they have done in the night has been illuminated in such a way that's breathtaking. So David mentions a lion. There's one picture of a lion. This was taken at night. You can see the stars in the background. And, and the cameras of recording the activity of animals at night is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Being able to see what we've never seen, nor is it advisable to hang out with lions at night. And yet, you can, from the comfort of your TV, watch the glory of God. Now, there's a lot of other things that you don't want to watch, but this, this, this series is incredible. When you see the way the rhythm of the world has been created and all of the goodness, think, really, God, that is, that's amazing. That is incredibly wise and wonderful. And so here, rhythms come and go. We have seasons of fruitful productivity, and we need seasons of rest. And tomorrow, I hope you have a day off. Right? We work hard, but we rest. Some of us can't rest. And we live in a season uh, and a culture that hails productivity. But I want to tell you, God has put into the, the life that is fruitful and productive periods of rest. And, and the Lord's day today is, is one of them. Rest. Work hard throughout the week and then rest. And, and let the goodness of God's glory come to you and being reminded of he rested. He, he rested. And so here again, God is sovereign over the seasons and rhythms of life. And then in verses 24 to 26, Lord, how manifold are your works. With wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, that teems with creatures innumerable, living things small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. God is sovereign over all of his creatures, great and small. How wonderful they are. And, and, he, and David goes to the sea and he thinks about the smallest creatures, like krill, which can fit on your thumbnail, and, and Leviathan, which is just another word for a whale, which David says God created to play in the ocean. And I, if you've never gone on a whale watching tour, you need to. Because when we first moved here, it was one of the things we did. We took the kids on a little tour to go out and, and on, a, on a whale watching adventure. And we go about an hour and a half out in the ocean. And finally what we see, a, a whale breaching. Just incredible, flying up. Uh, out of the water, splashing, turning over, uh, and then a couple of them get together, and then they're just smacking their fins, like two little kids in a kiddie pool, you know, like, what are they doing? This verse came to mind. You have created the Leviathan simply to play in the ocean. That's God's creature manifesting the way he has created it to be, and play is a part of it. 
And so here is David commending to you worship and adoration of God because of the creatures in this world. Look at how God has created this world and be amazed at what he is saying. So worship him, adore him, and bless him with a movement of your heart. And then he goes on in verses 27. He says, God is also sovereign over life and death. All of these animals, great and small, look to you to give them food in due season, verse 28. And when you give it, they gather it up. Think of little squirrels gathering up nuts for the winter. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. And when you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take breath away, they die and return to dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created and renew the face of the ground. What David is saying Not only is is God sovereign over all of the creatures that he has created, but he is sovereign over life and death itself. When God sends out his spirit and gives a command, breath and life are given. And when he recalls his spirit, breath and life are taken away. That's the hiding of the face. When God hides his face, when there's a separation, then death comes and we return to dust. And yet life comes from the Lord. He speaks. His breath is life. Remember, creation. He breathed into mankind the breath of life and we became living souls. We became living beings. Life comes from God. He alone has authority to give it. He alone has authority to take it. Bless him for the great gift of life and cherish life. I got a text message just before I came into this room that um, Rahel Boston's brother has passed away and he has gone to meet Jesus. And he has been fighting cancer. He has been in an incredible battle in hospitals for, I think, a month or two. And yet he has now died. And so I commend that to you to pray for them, but also to cherish life, to cherish your own life and the lives of your families. And don't let things separate you from your, your, your people that you love, right? And And we go through so many relational hardships. Fight with all of your might to be at peace with your people. Don't let selfishness and greed keep you from your loved ones. Don't let petty disagreements and arguments plead with the Lord to help you be a peacemaker in your family. Because life comes from the Lord. And then the final few verses, Psalm 104, uh, 31 to 35. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. This is, the, this is the final reason for why you should bless and adore the Lord. It simply has to do with rejoicing. It's the word that's repeated in this paragraph. So look with me. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, let the wicked be no more. But bless the Lord, O my soul, praise the Lord. The point here is, David says, God rejoices in his creation. This is day seven, essentially. When, when at the end of, of all the six days of creation, when God sat back, looked at all of his creation, and he said, this is really good. This is very good. And he blessed that day. There's a sense of joy that comes from reflection and, and rest. All of this wrapped up in one idea. And so 
bless the Lord is a part of this resting in his power and his goodness and all of who he is. And the psalmist says, I will rejoice in the Lord. The Lord rejoices in his works, and so I will rejoice in him. And I will express that through singing. I will sing to the Lord as long as I have breath, is is the conclusion of all of this. And if you're troubled by the final verse of let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more, what he's saying is all of God's goodness is manifestly evident. So let not the people who refuse to acknowledge him have any place in enjoying this goodness. But I would say, choose to rejoice in his goodness. Surrender happily, bless and adore with bended knees before the Lord, this, our God and our maker, he who has created all that is. That's the point of all of his goodness. He is the creator who sustains this world. He governs the seas. He governs the lands. He cares for the rock badgers and the birds on the backside of the mountains. He also cares for his creatures. We are the only ones who are created in the image of God. Humankind are the only ones whom God breathed into the breath of life. There is a sense of God's breath in you this morning. If you have breath in your lungs, it is the breath of God and the gift of life that he has given. So take a deep breath with me and decide, I will bless the Lord. Will you choose to bless him? Will you praise him with your lips, with this breath that he has given you? And will you, with all of your might, strive that your heart is in agreement with your mouth? that your heart can say with affection and devotion and affirm with gladness and joy what your mouth proclaims. Because we're going to sing in a moment. We're going to practice what the psalmist tells us to do, which is to sing. And I want to invite you. I just want to pray for just a moment um, to to, to let you settle your heart and say, okay, Lord, what's going on within my heart? Can I delight in you as I adore you, as I sing your praises? Can I rejoice in you? That's what I want to ask you to be able to do. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you died in order to make possible glad praise of God the Father. Without you dying to atone for sin, none of us would have any desire to not only praise the Lord, but adore him and happily bow before him. And yet, Lord Jesus, you not only bowed down, you laid down your life and and suffered and died so that all who would put faith and hope and trust in you could be content to joyfully adore this creator about whom we have been thinking. And so, Lord, I I ask you, give every one of us the ability to rejoice in you. Give us hearts that adore you, that consider your power and your glory, and we delight in you. Please, Lord Jesus, as we sing, by your spirit, would you move our hearts deeper into a place of adoration as we proclaim the goodness of God and your goodness 
may we truly delight and rejoice in who you are. Through Christ I pray, amen.